you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Mr. President, up here! I voted for you! Wait a minute. That guy on the grassy knoll's got a gun. He's gonna shoot the president. Holy smokes, I've gotta do something. All right, Lee. Time to become an American hero. to prevent the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I'm out of town, am I right? You shouldn't be here. If I had my life, I don't know whether Oswald was the man who did it, You'll figure out the rest when you get there. You see, the past doesn't want to be changed. When you're close to changing something, you feel it pushed back. Last thing you can say about killing a man is that it's brave. Mr. Amberson, this is Miss Dunhill. She's starting off. When rules are broken, there's a price. Price must be paid to set things right. CIA's pulling the trigger. What do we do now? Then you kill Oswald. Everything you say is a lie. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the show. Before we get started, real quick... I just wanted to put this out there because my friend Jake has been working really hard. Jacob Carter, I've had him on the show back in December over at his blog, ReformationPost.com. He's got a lot of good new articles up there about the JFK research community and how we treat each other and how we interact as human beings. And uh, everybody needs to read it. So I'm going to put a link up over there at the post with this show. uh, Or you can just head over to ReformationPost.com. And check out his latest blog entries. 
Uh, he does some good work, so show him some love and support. And without further ado, let's do this. Uh, What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Lim Gummin Podcast, episode 108. This is your host, Rob Clark. And with me today, I have a very special guest. He's admin of the uh, Assassination Research Bureau on Facebook. He is part of the Neapolis Media Group. He is a fantastic JFK researcher, film buff, and my buddy, Mr. Charles Cliff, comes back to the show. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Rob. Thanks for having me back again. I'm looking forward to this show. Me too, me too. I mean, last time you were here, we kind of looked at how the how the media has treated the assassination over the years. And um, today we're going to be talking about how Hollywood has treated the assassination over the years. And I guess it's a very topical thing because the big deal right now, Charles, is 11-22-63. Yep. Very popular new show right now on uh, Hulu uh, starring James Franco. I've been watching it. It's been, I think it's been actually quite good. I'm actually, I thought it would be good, but I think it's even exceeded my expectations thus far. Yeah, mine too. And, um, you know, a lot of people hate on the book, you know, just because, you know, Stephen King's writing it from the perspective of, uh, okay, Oswald shot Kennedy, so we have to go back and fix it. And people think it's some kind of a lone nut book, but it's it's more than that. I mean, it's it's a love story. It's you know, it's it's so much more than just that. I mean, it, it's fiction. It yeah. you know, that's the thing. A lot of people are thinking, well, that it's supposed to be like some sort of research book, and it's supposed to be like some sort of theory uh, backing up the Warren Commission, backing up the lone nut, um, um, backing up the lone nut uh, theory. But it's not. Like you said, it's a work of fiction. Uh, Stephen King wrote it uh, basically as like a thriller novel, like all of his novels, and he basically just used you know the available information to him. He stuck with pretty much the main story, used the characters from the main story, because if he started to change it and put in different theories of this and that and this and that, it would have just gotten confusing. So it was just easier to stick with what he had and work from there, uh, working on a work of fiction. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know. <clears throat> Look, Stephen King is not a JFK researcher, okay? No, you know, of not. and like you said, you know, he would lose a lot of people if he starts getting into a lot of the minutia of of the assassination and different theories and everything. I mean, which don't get me wrong, so, you know, some of them are starting to come out and, and be explored on eleven twenty two sixty three, right? Um, like George Demorne Shield, General Walker, which surprised the hell out of me, and uh, you know, a couple other things so far. You know, so it's, I mean, it's not totally, at least, at least the miniseries is not, um, and we're only four episodes in. We still have four to go. Yeah. Um, well, it leaves the door open to conspiracy. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, you know, like there was a, there was an episode or an episode on one of the episodes of, that showed, um, Lee Oswald outside of a General Walker speech. Right. And he was going ape shit ballistic on General Walker, trying to fight him, and making a causing a huge scene. And and you know George DeMorne Shields with him, kind of like standing in the background, like oh my, you know what the hell? And uh, you know this did not happen in real life. It did not. But you yeah. know they're using it for you know kind of dramatic. Um, they're using dramatic licensing and just trying to to further the story some more. 
Yeah, well, I was telling Steve Rowe yesterday, um, I was like, you know, they had to come up with some kind of a motive or a reason for him to take a shot at Gerald Walker. Exactly, because in real life it doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't make sense in real life. And, you know, if if Oswald shot at General Walker because of his ideals and wanted to kill him, okay, then K- John Kennedy is the polar opposite of, of General Walker. So why would he want to kill Walker? And then why would he want to kill Kennedy? You know, this, it doesn't make sense. This is a point I've brought up many, many times because you're basically, by, by shooting at Walker and shooting at Kennedy, he's basically contradicting himself because they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. So why would he kill both of them? He either would try and kill one or the other. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. That's why I've never had a uh, any sort of real um, belief in the Walker story. This is why I, you know, I've kind of discounted that because it doesn't fit. It just doesn't, and it doesn't make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it, um, when you think about it in the context of you know, who he was surrounding himself with in New Orleans, you know, with all these far, far right guys, these extreme, you know, segregationists and all this stuff that he was kind of associating himself with. You know, it makes more sense that and it wouldn't have been the first time that Walker had some kind of a plan to make himself a little bit more popular in the public opinion. You know, he no. he came up with some kind of a plan to get kidnapped, you know, just to further you know, his exposure and gain sympathy for him, you know, and because the guy was running for president in 1964. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at this point, you know, I mean, he he's going all around the country speaking, you know, to all these people and places and, and, and you know, or, you know, trying to raise money for their cause. And it would make sense to stage some kind of something like this just to make him seem, you know, like he's this gigantic threat to the establishment, you know, right. like you need to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so that uh, was interesting, and it was uh, very interesting. I didn't know that they were actually going to put that in the uh, in the series, but I'm actually glad that they did. Me too. You know, I think it was in the, first, the very first episode when they, you know, James Franco is asking him, who's this guy, and, and, and you know, and uh, he's like, yeah, that's General Walker, you know. And then we had George DeMorne Shield supposedly talking about Lee Oswald two, you know, two years before the assassination, which, you know, we don't know if that actually happened in real life either. No. You know, we have no proof of that. Yeah, because as far as we know, they met in 1962, so. Right. But that is an element of, of the conspiracy angle that they are incorporating into the show, which oh, is absolutely. interesting, you know. Yes, it is. But in uh, certainly showing, like a lot of people have suspected, that Walker was just more than some uh, white Russian, you know, Texas oil businessman or so on, that uh, he has, you know, connections. Right, yeah. Which I think a lot of people suspect, you know, it's hard to prove. Right. But he's in the right line of business, you know. Exactly. Frequent traveler, you know, he can kind of come and go as he pleases. He's got the right kind of background. Um, you know, he's got money. He's he's kind of like, you know, the 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 innocent chameleon. You know, he can kind of be whoever he wants to be in any kind of social situation. And, uh, you know, just somebody of his stature cavorting with someone of Oswald's stature. And it, it's, it's, it's beautifully illustrated in the miniseries of, of how, like, dirt poor and shittily that, that Lee Oswald and Marina are living. You know, and yeah. then you've got DeMorean Shield driving his silver... 
Mercedes. I don't know what the hell it is, but it's a really nice car. Yeah. Um, you know, driving Very that around nice Dallas and, uh, you know, kind of meeting with these nebulous people that we don't know who they are yet. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, I think the the mini series is doing a really good job of, 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 you know, kind of drawing people in and getting people interested in the assassination again. It, yep. it, if it doesn't do anything other than that, um, then that's, that's great of in and of itself, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I know it's getting, you know, great ratings too. A lot of people are watching it. It's been very popular. So, and actually on IMDb, it gets an 8.9 out of 10 ratings, which is quite high. Oh yeah. So, yeah, no, it's been very good so far. Yeah, you know, it, it interests me because, you know, I like James Franco. I, you know, I even like his funny stuff with Seth Rogen and all that. I'm glad Seth Rogen's not in this miniseries because it would mm-hmm. ruin it. But yeah. but I think James Franco is really good in the series, you know, and he he's a really good actor. You know, he's done a lot of serious stuff like, you know, 127 hours where it's pretty much him stuck in a rock, you know, for, for, for two hours or, or, you know, on the screen. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's got to carry the movie and, you know, he, he's done a lot of these classics. Uh, I can't think of the name of right now. Um, a lot of these old Steinbeck movies, um, you know, and he does the comedies too, you know, and I like him in this because he's, you know, about the right age. He's got the right demeanor. Um, now we should talk a little bit about this character, his buddy Bill, because this guy is not really a huge deal in the book. No, he's a much bigger deal on he's a much bigger deal in the show so far. Yeah, well, I found out why, and I'm I'm going to read everybody a little a little snippet of uh, of an article um, from Rolling Stone about this. Okay, um, now director Jonathan Demme was the first to license this book. Okay. But King Stephen King has always maintained veto power over every aspect of the project. I mean, he could, he could say no to anything, no matter who's directing it, who who bought it, anything. He typically does that on any movie made on a, off of one of his books. Yeah, and the problem with Jonathan Demme is he wanted to make it into a a movie, like a two hour movie, and and Stephen King was like. He said, John, I don't know. This is pretty long and complex. Making it into a movie is like sitting on a suitcase. You try and cram everything in, and something always gets left out. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, eventually, he, he said they they looked at each other and said, well, this is not going to work. You know, they had two totally different ideas about the way they wanted this thing to go. Now, not long after Demi uh, moved on from the project, J.J. Abrams, of course, everybody knows who he is, with you know, Star Trek, Lost, Star Wars now. Mm-hmm. Um, made a deal with King to turn it into a miniseries for the streaming service Hulu. Now, there's a couple reasons why they chose to go with something like Hulu over, you know, network television. Mm-hmm. Because they could do this, you know, they they don't have to have a cliffhanger every seven minutes for commercials. You know, they don't have to uh, limit themselves with time restraints they can make the episode 45 minutes if they want they can make it an hour they can make it an hour and a half um if they want to um it just you know whatever you know they can cuss in it which they do um but that's why they went with hulu and stephen king he wanted 
he wanted to release it all at one time, but he finally gave in to J.J. Abrams, and who wanted to you know space it out, or or right. you know Hulu wanted to space it out a little bit, and Stephen King finally relented, but he went he wanted to just throw it all out there all at once, which would have been fine, but. You know, I like the episodic, you know, wait. You know, you have to wait a week to find out, you know, just like right. regular television, any other television show you watch, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, there was uh, the news that the novel was heading to TV didn't reach James Franco, who was busy preparing for his oral exams at in the Yale English Department. Now, he's a smart guy. He does go to Yale, and he's an actor, and he's he's busy. He's He's a hardworking actor. He says, I had to be familiar with 150 books. A lot of them were academic, and when I finished, I was finally able to read whatever I wanted. I remember seeing 112263 at an airport bookstore and just picked it up. And when I read it, I got this gut feeling, a tingle, that it could be something more. He said he emailed Stephen King and inquired about the rights because he wanted to buy them because he wanted to make the movie. Right. Only to be told that the Force Awakens director, J.J. Abrams, beat him to it. Um, so James Franco wrote an essay online about the book for for you know Vice magazine online, and it got the attention of Abrams, who offered him the lead role. And he says, I quickly responded and said, I'm totally in as long as I can direct just a little bit, <laughs> says Franco. And J.J. Abrams said, no problem. And that was it. Deal done. Um, now, he says, for Franco, the main appeal of the project was a chance to revisit a familiar part of American history in a fresh way. With the time travel element, you get to sort of revitalize the whole assassination story. The possibilities of what happened are reopened. That means when the story actually reaches, finally, November 22nd, 1963, the fate of President Kennedy is completely unknown to the viewer. For my generation that didn't live through the assassination, it's become like an American myth, says Franco. This is a fresh in for this generation. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. I love that explanation. And I love that James Franco uh, was drawn to it right from reading it. And you can tell he's really into the acting in this movie. He's very much a part. You can sometimes, you can tell that an actor is just, playing a role to collect a paycheck. James Franco's not like that in this movie. He's actually doing very well. And I, unlike you, have never been a huge James Franco fan. There's been a few things he's done I've liked. There's been stuff he's done that I didn't like. But I really, really like him in this. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, seeing it now, I couldn't imagine it with with, with somebody else. No, as, not as, at all. You know, as Jake Epping. Mm-hmm. Um, but now to get to the point, or to, to get to the part where we were talking about Bill and why he's a, such a bigger character in the miniseries than in the book. Um, the screenwriter, actually, uh, is, a, is a lady named Bridget Carpenter. And she worked on Friday Night Lights and, and, and the TV uh, series Parenthood. That's right, yeah. She, she wrote the screenplay for this. You know, she adapted King's novel, you know, as, as a miniseries. And she says, reading the book, you're inside the mind of Jake Epping and privy to his thoughts. She says, unless you do a voiceover narrative, which I didn't want to do, you're severely limited in in what you can do on screen. If you don't hear somebody's thoughts, you're just looking at a handsome man staring at a window. Early on, she made the crucial decision to to take an extremely minor character from the book, Bill Turcotte, played in the miniseries by George McKay. 
and make him a sidekick for Epping throughout much of the series. That was brilliant on Bridget's part, says Stephen King. They're talking to each other and we're listening in. So basically what they're saying is that Bill is there to allow us to see what's going on inside Jake's mind. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Because without, you know, having a narrator, you know, a lot, you know, just having to watch Jake, you know, do all the stuff he's doing, it's like, you know, because, look, when you travel back in time, it's very much a solo effort. You know, it's not like you're, you know, making friends and, and right. you know. They always say when you travel back in time, you're not supposed to talk to pe- talk to as few people as possible, you know, not to disrupt the past and stuff like that. But in this case, they've got a sidekick, which I kind of like. Yeah, yeah. Now, in the you know, in the book, they, they, they go back to 1958 first, mm-hmm. and they have five years, you know, to kind of uh, – follow Lee Harvey Oswald from, you know, the Marines and, and all that. Now, in the miniseries, they only go back to 19, was it 60? 1960. Yeah, 1960. Election year. Yep. And uh, so they have three years, you know, to, yep. to, to do what they need to do. And, uh, you know, stuff like, uh, I think there was a section of the book where he interacts with the main characters of It, you know, right after their yeah. first battle with Pennywise, and right. it, you know that's that's cut completely out of this miniseries because mm-hmm. she says, you know, it did, it did nothing to push the narrative forward of the book, and it was not really plot driven. And but there's a lot of Stephen King Easter eggs in the miniseries, like for instance, Christine makes an appearance. Yeah, which I thought was really cool. Um, and I'm sure a lot of these background characters are, you know, figures from. You know his, some of his past miniseries and movies. Um, yeah, I heard there was actually a couple. I can't remember off the top of my head what they were, but I know that people have made comments about that in the past. Yeah, I think the, there was a lady working in the uh, in the school office, and I yeah. think I can't remember what movie she was in. Um, but I think it ties back to one of you know Stephen King's older movies. So, you know, Stephen King fans will, you know, they'll like this. And uh, now here, here's where it gets a little iffy. Now, Stephen King has always believed that Lee Harvey Oswald did act alone because, like like we said, you know, Charles, he, he's not a researcher, you know. No, he's not. Um, then he says, but after spending so much time delving into the project, um, Carpenter, the screenwriter, developed a different take. She says, I was a lone gunman theorist at first, but I have turned 180 degrees. My theory is that he was so- somehow part of, of, of a CIA plot and perhaps went rogue, and there was a cover-up because of the national embarrassment that it would have caused. Now, Franco is quite torn on the matter. He says, I'm easily swayed, uh, and every theory has some plausibility. He said, but then you read something like James Elroy's American tabloid, and you're like, oh, damn, there was a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then and then that goes on to the screenwriter. She says, when presenting the character of Oswald, she's stuck as closely to the known historical record as possible and made sure to leave his motivation for the crime, which for many has never been spelled out in a satisfying way, as vague as possible. 
She says, I don't believe in using explanations. I thought it would be a disservice to the event that happened, even in a fictional story we were weaving a tale. That idea insulted my intelligence. And uh, once again, she says, King had complete veto power over the script, the cast, and nearly every aspect of the production, but he claims he never exercised it once. You know, he read every draft and he watched every cut. He was an unbelievable supporter. It blew my mind. He's writing like a book a month. And then he would call and go, hey, have you seen Mr. Robot? It's really good. And I'm like, when do you have time to do this? This is crazy, which is one of the episode names. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, it's look. We're four episodes into it. I'm I'm loving it. Charles is loving it. I am. And, you know, I'm sure it's going to come out on DVD. Um, I'm sure you can, if you don't have Hulu, you can head over to Amazon and, and, you know, download the episodes there or for some folks, you know, who are a little bit more torrent savvy, you can find them in other places, uh, for relatively cheap. Yes. (laughs) If you know what I'm saying, not that I'm endorsing that, but you know, uh, we'll just leave it there. Good idea. You know, I, I, I'm just saying, give it a chance. No matter what your belief, loan, gunman theory, conspiracy, just give it a chance and take it for what it is, which is good entertainment about the assassination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't. Yeah, it, it's it's made for entertainment, not for research. And the quicker you realize that, the the better the show is going to be. Oh, most definitely. You know, and we're going to talk about some turds here today um, as far as movies about the assassin, you know, concerning the assassination go. But I would not put that this miniseries in that category. No, I I'd put this on the good pile. There's been a lot of movies and TV shows. Some of them we're going to talk about uh, coming up that are garbage that you should probably stay away from. This is not one of them. This is one to watch. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. So, Charles, I wanted to touch on that right off the bat just because it's, you know, it's topical and, and that's what everybody's interested in right now. Mm-hmm. So there you have that. Now let's now let's kind of hit the rewind button here a little bit and we'll kind of we'll kind of skate through this stuff um, in somewhat of a chronological order because, you know, that's probably the easiest way to do it rather than jumping it all over the place. Um, so when we're talking about movies about the assassination I guess the first one we have to go back to is Rush to Judgment. Yes, back in 1966. That was um, uh, Mark Lane's movie. Right, and I just did a show about Mark Lane last week with Carmine. Yep. So, yes, I heard that. <laughs> yeah, if anybody missed it, go back and listen to it. Um, yep. I mean, if, you, if you're a JFK researcher, you know who Mark Lane is. You know what Rush to Judgment is. It's on YouTube for free, the yep. entire movie. Feel free to go watch it. You know, it's basically, it's not really like a Hollywood movie where there's actors. It's more of a documentary style, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, it's, you know, we're talking about an early, early piece here. And there, and there was another early piece. Uh, I can't remember if it was right around that time. It was the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. That was actually done a few years before. That was actually done right around the time the Warren Commission was released. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah, about 1964 or might have been early 65, something like that. Yeah, and this is not to be confused with the uh, 1980s version. Yep. 
and I believe I, I believe the 1964 version. If you look for it, you can find that online somewhere too. I think I've seen it before. Yeah, I think uh, you can watch it. I think David Von Peen's got it on his channel on YouTube. Yeah, that might be true. Yeah, which you know, as far as that goes, look, I know people hate David Von Peen, his notorious lone nutter, but his his YouTube channel is one of the best resources for old movies and footage. You know, we're talking like four days in November. Um, no question. You know, a lot of these old movies that, you know, you can't find anymore. And I will say this, Charles, a lot of these older movies, not necessarily the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald, because I think that was pretty cut and dry. Of You know, they were they were trying to uh, they were trying to give or they were trying to tell people or show people what his trial could have possibly been like if he had actually right. lived to make it there, you know, and to have a fair trial. And yes, I, th- I, th- right. I think they concluded that he was guilty in the movie, but, you know, at least he would have got a trial. That was yeah. a lawyer, you know. Um, you know, a lot of these older movies actually, actually, you know, gave the conspiracy angles a lot more spin back then because this is what, this is what was hot. This is what was generating people's interest um, back then. You know, and then uh, I guess we go to um, the executive action or the parallax view. 1975 or yeah. 76. I don't know. Uh, I'm just pulling it up here. I thought it was, might have been earlier than that. Uh, executive action was 1973. Yeah. No, yeah. No. And funny, funny enough is that executive, a lot of the stuff in executive action was based, uh, or at least was inspired by the one we just talked about before that, Rush to Judgment, because Mark Lane was one of the writers on this one, along with Donald Freed and Dalton Trumbo. Yeah, another great movie, if you haven't watched it, is Trumbo. Yes. Um, which just came out last year with, uh, who's the guy from Breaking Bad? I'm trying oh, to play. Oh, why am I? Uh, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston, yes, yes. yes. Very, very good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was a Hollywood screenwriter who was blacklisted because people thought he was a communist. Um, and it's kind of the uh, the story of how he kept writing under you know these false names, and people still kept working. For, you know, was still were still keeping him employed despite him being blacklisted, and and what all that was about. And it, it's a really good movie, and. He should have won an Oscar for it, but anyway, that's Trumbo. And like I said, co-writer on Executive Action. You know, he 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 co-wrote he he co-wrote and wrote a lot of stuff. You know, spanning the fifties, sixties, and seventies. <clears throat> he had a hell of a career, despite being blacklisted as a communist, which he wasn't. Um, but shocker, you know, these things happen. Yep. So Executive Action is really the first um, cinematic scripted movie uh, to deal with the Kennedy assassination. In ten, it was, came out 10 years after the assassination, and it was a conspiracy movie. It basically worked on the hypothesis of a bunch of right-wing um, oil men and uh, rogue CIA agents and, um, you know, big businessmen all um, – plotting and carrying out the plot to kill Kennedy and to frame Lee Harvey Oswald. So it kind of goes right through the planning from the starting of the planning, which I believe was in the uh, 
late sixty uh, one right through to the day of the assassination. So and it's got Burt Lancaster, a great actor, uh, Robert Ryan, Will Gear, Gilbert Green. So it's actually a very intriguing movie and quite um, quite the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not risque, but it's uh, you know it was a movie that uh, you know went against the norm, went against the establishment for its time. Much oh, like yeah. JFK, yeah, much like JFK did in the early '90s, executive action was kind of the JFK of its of its of its time. Oh, most definitely, because people weren't used to seeing things like this about real events in the movie theater. Like you said, this this is the first scripted um, actual movie, you know, um, regarding the assassination that we that that Hollywood has put out, and I think. Now, I don't know all the history of this movie, but I'm sure there was roadblocks and problems getting it released. Well, I've heard interviews with both um, Mark Lane and Donald Freed, who were two of the writers on the movie, and they both said that they were getting all sorts of problems. There were, there were studios that wanted nothing to do with it. There was apparently interference from government people telling them to change the script. One thing that Mark Lane had said now – after hearing your show about Mark Lane last uh, last week, you know you got to take it for a grain of salt. But Mark Lane anyway said that the original working title for Executive Action was actually going to be called Conspiracy in America. And of course, if you take the first letters of all three of those words, what does it spell out? C I A. Yes. And they were going to all those letters were all going to be capitalized. They were not going to get away with using that title. They were forced to change it, and that's where they came up with executive action because no studio wanted to touch it with that with that title. Well, executive executive action is not be- much better. Um, no, that's true. But, <laughs> but yeah, the average Joe wouldn't know that that applies to, uh, you know, a CIA term for assassination. Right. That's true. So as the movie was up, it was a good movie. Uh, it did, I thought, tend to drag on a little bit. It was a it was a relatively long movie. I believe it was over two hours. I think it was um, almost two and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Oh no, maybe an hour and a half. It was a good movie, though. I did enjoy it. And it, um, you know, it again. I think they had to skirt around some issues because of you know potential outside interference. Right, but it at least uh, you know they kind of got their point across. Oh, most definitely. And of course, it's, uh, end, at the very ending is a list of they you know do a scroll of all the list of the <laughs> uh, witnesses that have died. And as was pointing out last week, unfortunately, <laughs> that's where our buddy uh, Richard Sharnan uh, got you know ninety nine percent of his research. Yeah, from yeah. The last part of that movie, so. Yeah. Now, there, there was another movie, I think from the early 70s, called The Parallax View, which I have not seen. Yes, with Warren Beatty. Yeah, but I I've have heard, seen it. You have seen it. Yes, um, I have. And I think that relates to the assassination in, in some form, right? It actually kind of takes elements of the JFK assassination and elements of the RFK assassination and kind of you know mixes them together because you have this politician – uh, that's actually running for president, and he gets killed. Uh, in fact, they have him being killed, I believe, at the Space Needle in Seattle at some campaign event. 
and then all these different witnesses start dying and so on. And it really uh, takes uh, kind of elements of both of those events and and connects them together. It stars Warren Beatty, another very, very good movie. Okay, yeah. So you and can like, tell that some of the stuff in it is taken directly from the JFK case because it's identical to stories that are told. Yeah, I, I've I've tried to look for this movie um and I, I have trouble finding it. it and it, who knows it might be on YouTube I don't know I haven't, I haven't looked. yeah I haven't dug too far um but just like you know looking on Netflix here or there or seeing if I can find it online or something it's I, I haven't ran across it but uh I'm definitely gonna put it on the list of one of C's now back in the 70s of course interest in the assassination peaked again with the House Select Committee on Assassinations. And we get a couple more movies in the late 70s. Things like uh, Ruby and Oswald. Yes. Seen that one as well. Yeah. Now, I I kind of like that movie. Um, I don't know why. I, but... I do too. <laughs> Uh, because it wasn't really giving a theory. What it was was basically a reconstruction of events, at least as we've been told. So it basically follows Ruby and it follows Oswald. It follows Oswald through his arrest and his interrogation by the Dallas Police Department. Right. And it follows Ruby and his deterioration um, throughout that weekend up to the point where he comes in and shoots Oswald. Right. Yes. Yeah, and then it's you know of course his time in jail, and and all that stuff, and yeah, you know, I, I kind of liked the movie. I mean, it was better than too. some, you know. Yeah, I thought the guy playing Ruby in that one, Michael Lerner, was actually very good at it, and he, so was Frederick Forrest as Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, I thought they casted that extremely well. Yeah, I do too. He was one of the um, better Oswalds, I, I'll say. Um, yeah, there's been some really bad ones, but he was one of the better ones. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I, sh I guess we should mention too the Oswald in eleven twenty two sixty three. I'm digging him. Uh, he's got he's got the accent, the voice down. He, you know, he kind of looks like him and and, and kind of acts like him. Um, you know, he, he's fit physically. He, he you know he's about the same size as Oswald. And you know, I've read you know, this guy's he's an Australian actor. I don't I'm not sure his name. Um, you know, he had long blonde hair that they had to cut cut down and dye and, you know, get him clean shaven. And for an Australian guy, he really does have Lee Oswald's, you know, southern New Orleans, Texas mix down. Even when yeah, he gets he, excited. He does it very well. Yeah, and it starts yelling. I mean, he's he really, really has it down good. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have Oswald's accent and you're acting as Oswald then you might as well throw it right out the window. Yeah, because it's not going to do any, not very good. Yeah, I mean, like Gary Oldman, he had a good one in uh, JFK. Yeah, Gary Oldman was spot on. He really was. Yeah, I mean, some of these, some of the sound clips even get mixed up still today of people saying, um, well, that's Lee Oswald. I think it was in, uh, what was it? It was a song by, I think, the Manic Street Preachers called I'm Just a Patsy, but it had a, a clip you know, of Oswald speaking in the middle of the song, but it's not Oswald. Yeah. It's actually Gary Oldman from, from right. the movie JFK. Yeah. Um, pretty crazy, but uh, mm -hmm. so I'm not sure. What, what, uh, I'm trying to remember late 70s movies. 
Um, well, there was another TV movie which I believe was also around the same time as Ruby and Oswald, and I think we referenced it early, the, the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald, which was done, I believe, in 1977. Yeah, the one in England? No, that's, that, that's the... No, you're thinking of the one with uh, Bugliosi and um, uh, Jerry Spence? No, that's a different one. This one was an actual movie uh, starring Lauren Green... Uh, I'm just looking it up now. It was, I believe, 1977. Oh, okay. Uh, Trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, 1977 uh, TV movie starring uh, Lauren Green as um, as uh, Oswald's lawyer, uh, Ben Gazzara, who's uh, called in as a special prosecutor. And it basically is a movie that's based on the hypothesis that Lee Harvey Oswald does not get killed by Jack Ruby, when he's being transferred um, to the jail, he goes right through, and they actually put him on trial. It's about a three-hour movie. It's a long movie. Um, in so fact, I think they might have done it in two parts. It was a TV movie done for ABC, and uh, basically you go through the trial. You go through the priming of the trial, questioning of you know the questioning of the witnesses. Then you go on trial. In fact, in, in the movie, uh, because of the um, um, the big press that the case had gotten, they move it out of Dallas, the trial out of Dallas, to this little hit community in Texas. And it's really well done. They actually go through and do the entire trial. They present evidence for um, uh, Oswald as the lone assassin. They present evidence of the conspiracy. And then by the end of the movie, uh, well, what they do is instead of, um, you know, they don't give a verdict. They leave the verdict up to the viewers, but they present both sides. Really well done movie. I actually really liked it. Of all the different um, trial-type movies they've done of Oswald, that one uh, was my favorite, and that one actually can be found on YouTube. Well, I'll have to check that one out. I haven't seen that yeah, one. Yeah, it, it's really good with Lauren Green, of course, from Bonanza, and, uh, you know, there's – there's a lot of different, uh, you know, character actors. If you watch a movie, you'll recognize them because they've been in a lot of other stuff. Right. Yeah. All right, which brings us to the awesome 80s. <laughs> this is where it kind of goes off the rails. Yeah, yeah. I believe uh, the first one let's talk about, I think it's uh, Flashpoint. Not really, in a, you, know, ba- you know, based on the assassination or, or you know, certain... But there is an element, a gruesome element in the movie yeah. pertaining to the assassination. But yep. the film itself is not really assassination related. You know what I mean? But there is reference to, um, I don't know, Charles, step us through it because it's been a while since I saw it. Basically, uh, the movie which stars, um, it stars Chris Christopherson and Treat Williams. Um, you've probably seen they've been in a lot of stuff. And, Basically, they're two Texas Border Patrol guys, and just random Border Patrol, and they're out on random patrol one day out in the uh, Texas desert, and then they stumble upon this burnt-out Jeep that's been, you know, buried uh, in the desert. Uh, It's got a a dead body, a skeleton in it, with a rifle and a box with $800,000 worth of cash in it. And they don't know where this is from. They just kind of stumble upon it randomly one day so these two guys find this jeep and they go on this investigation to try and find out well who was this guy and why why is this here and you know 
where did this come from and what's this all about? Because they could tell and they had it checked out that the guy's been there for like 20 years. Well, the movie's made in 1983. So what was 20 years before 1983? Well, 1963, of course, and we all know what happened in 1963. So they go through and they go on this investigation, and as they're looking more and more into this uh, this burnt-out jeep, suddenly they get these mysterious government agents that keep, you know, telling them to stay away from investigating this. One of them, Kurtwood Smith who some people might remember as Red Foreman on that 70s show. He plays one of these um, these agents and stuff like that. And Anyway, they go through the movie, and as they find out, they get it. They tie the, um, the guy, the Jeep man, the burnt-out Jeep man, and the money to the assassination of President Kennedy. Or at least that's what they um, seem to, uh, you know, deduce from investigating this. So... It's a, it's. I know what they were trying to do there, but it's a really, it's not a fantastic movie. Let's put it that way. It was okay. Uh, was it spectacular? No. It's yeah. an eighties movie. Let's just put it at that. That should tell a lot of people about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and yeah. It, it is available on YouTube it gets, in its entirety. It's confusing in points. Yeah. Um, some of the stuff doesn't seem to make sense, but you know. I see what they were trying to do. The, the whole, the big, I'm probably ruining it for people, but the big, uh, you know, payoff movie at the end of the moment is when I believe it's Chris Christopherson ties the Jeep and the uh, the skeleton guy to the assassination. And there's this big 80s-style payoff moment. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and look, people, a, a, lot of this, a lot of this stuff that is available on YouTube, I'm going to embed it into the page for this show over at TLGpodcast.com. So you can just go right over there and you can watch all the stuff we're going to be talking about or most of the stuff we're going to be talking about today, um, at least most of the older stuff we're talking about today. Um, now, you actually talk about a couple of movies that I've never seen. And I'd like you to touch on those because I think these are awesome 80s movies as well. we got Running Against Time and Time Quest. Yeah, okay. Uh, these are, Running Against Time is late 80s, and Time Quest is early 90s. Okay. And same thing. The funny part about it, <laughs> I said it's basically yeah. the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and the, the thing about this one is that um, both of these movies actually have a similar storyline uh, that 112263 is. They involve time travel and, um, you know, going back to prevent the assassination of President Kennedy. The problem is, if you're talking about an uh, 80s or, or late 80s or early 90s movies, if you're talking about time travel and you're not talking about Back to the Future, you're not talking about a particularly good movie. Right. Running Against Time was done, uh, it stars, if he, there are people that are familiar with the uh, airplane uh, movie, the uh, satirical movies made by the Zucker brothers in the 80s. Running Games Time stars Robert Hayes, who was a uh, who played the title role in those movies, uh, Ted Stryker. Yeah, the pilot. That's right, the pilot. Yeah. He plays an English professor whose brother was killed in Vietnam, 
and he feels that, uh, like a lot of people, that the assassination of President Kennedy prolonged the Vietnam War. So he is this professor friend, uh, we'll call him the uh, dollar store Doc Brown, uh, (laughs) that's apparently created some, (laughs) excuse me, that's apparently created some time machine in his laboratory. Um, It wasn't a DeLorean, was it? No, it was not a DeLorean. It might have been better if it had a bit. (laughs) But anyways, um, he uh, goes into this time machine and gets sent back to 1963 to try and prevent the assassination. This is what happens. We talked about how they originally wanted to make 11-22-63 into a two-hour movie. And Jade and Stephen King said, no, 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 no. It's got to be longer than that because it's too complex of a subject to make in a two-hour movie. Well, this is what happens when you try to um, make it into a two-hour movie because everything, the whole movie was rushed. Uh, there was this, there was that. It really got confusing. Uh, he goes back, and then it turns out that this English professor who tries to stop the assassination of Kennedy, in turn, turns around, he actually goes, and he jumps on Oswald, and Oswald actually misses the shot and tries to shoot Kennedy, but then a bunch of the other book depository guys rush up to the sixth floor to see what was going on there, and then Oswald yells out, oh, this guy, I came across him, he was trying to shoot Kennedy, so this English teacher guy is the one that ends up getting arrested for the assassination of Kennedy, and then his girlfriend gets sent back to try and save him, and oh, then God. she gets hit by a car, <laughs> and there's this and that, and it just gets really ridiculous after a while. Wow. It, it's really confusing, uh, and it's just, I don't know, it's not a very good movie. Probably not made, Probably not a big budget either, I'm assuming. No, it, it was not a big budget. <laughs> I mean, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's also available on YouTube. Uh, so if you want to check it out, I'd check it out on YouTube. I wouldn't spend money on it. No. Now, let's touch on, uh, well, actually, Charles, let me address something real quick. There was a TV show in the 80s, uh, and and the name of it is Escaping Me, but you might know what I'm talking about, where he's like, this guy's like lost in time. It's not sliders. It's, uh, quantum leap. Quantum leap. That's it. With Scott Bakula. Yes, sir. Scott Bakula. Yeah. And they actually had an episode, um, and where he is slips into Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, and you know, he goes back in time, you know, t- of course it's time travel deal. Um, you know, to try and uh, to change things. Right. And it was very interesting. It was a very uh, controversial show at the time. Yes, it was. And the, it, I remember they, when when the series was on Netflix, they did not include that episode for some reason. The only way yeah, you can I see that episode that is, is if you actually go and get the, the, the uh, DVD box set. Mm-hmm. That that was the only, that's right. That was the only episode that was not available on Netflix. Yeah, very for weird. Whatever reason. Yeah, I, mean, I was searching for it. I mean, I, I researched it on the internet to see exactly what episode it was because I wanted to see it. 
and it's not there. I'm like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it so, didn't make sense. I don't know if that was done intentionally or if there's some reason why they can't show it, but that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. And I think uh, you know there was an episode of the X Files that that has something to do with the Kennedy assassination. You know, back in the mid '90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get to Time Quest because <laughs> I, I I I know you're not a fan of this one either. Well, you, you know the movie Running Against Time I just talked about. I said that it's not a very good movie at all. Compared to Time Quest, it's an Oscar winner. <laughs> I watched this movie Time Quest about a month ago. Yeah. For the first time. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about a movie that really, I don't know if people read the script before they did it but it was absolutely, utterly ridiculous. The entire movie starts out with JFK on the day of the assassination uh, in his hotel room in Fort Worth, and then this old guy shows up who's some sort of time traveler from the future who comes in and warns, warns him he's about to be killed and not to go ahead with the Dallas motorcade. And then it keeps flipping back between 1963 and the year 2000, and then they have a, this big press conference in the year 2000 saying JFK died of old age, and they keep going back and forth, and then Jackie Kennedy becomes obsessed with trying to figure out who uh, this time-traveling guy was, oh. and they have another baby named James Kennedy, and then there's this Oliver Stone-type director who actually I thought was going to be an integral part of the movie, because he kind of comes up with this um, working uh, plan that the, that he found out about this time-traveling guy, and he was going to make the movie exposing it or something like that. And he actually would have been an interesting storyline, but halfway into the movie, the guy disappears and never returns, and they never finish up the storyline. <laughs> it's like the actor finally said, enough of this, I'm out of here, I don't want to be part of this anymore. <laughs> it's a bad movie. It's really oh, a bad wow. I mean, it's given 5.4 on IMDb. I don't know how it's given that high of a rating, because mm. the movie is horrible. It really is. It's. Uh, I just don't know. I mean, it's just terrible. It yeah, made it's... no sense. It was really confusing. If it's on YouTube at all, I don't even recommend watching it. Skip this one, folks. You don't want it. It's just <laughs> a terrible movie. Yeah, probably uh, you spend your time doing something else. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so... I watched it about about half an hour in. I realized it was a waste of time, but I'm like, I got to sit here and see how bad this gets. Yeah, I remember. I remember you talking about it um, in the in the media group. You were like, "This is a gigantic, horrible movie." It was terrible. And the the, the guys playing Kennedy, they had a guy playing JFK, they had a guy playing RFK, were nothing like either one of them. <laughs> I don't know how they casted these guys. <laughs> Low budget, buddy. Low oh, budget. Man. No kidding. Or no budget. Only two. They said, hey, key grip, get over here. We're going to make you President Kennedy today. <laughs> here, put on this suit. Yeah, oh. yeah, that's one to miss. A really one to miss. All right, now on the heels or right around the same time, we have the movie 
of course, that everybody knows, JFK coming out with Oliver Stone directing. And, and, you know, we don't really need to get into it a whole lot because I'm sure I'm everybody's sure seen it. Multiple times. Yeah. I mean, so just, just for frame of reference, you know, we have this blockbuster, you know, JFK coming out in the early 90s, right about this time as well, sparking interest in all the assassination stuff, which also spurns a couple more movies like uh, I think I think it's just called Ruby, wasn't it? With Dan- Danny Aiello. Yeah. Yep, Danny Aiello who played Jack Ruby, and that came out uh, the year after JFK. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that one I've seen that one. Uh, wasn't a bad movie. There was a few parts of it that were kind of, you know, a stretch, but um, like Ruby bringing one of those dancers to Las Vegas to have a rendezvous with JFK, which I don't think ever happened. But that was part of the movie. But all in all, it was a pretty good movie and explored a bunch of different – a lot of it was to do with organized crime and the potential that organized crime were involved. Um, it wasn't a bad movie. I thought Danny Aiello did a pretty good job of playing Ruby. I I enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, and it's a hard movie to find too. Yeah, it is. I mean I think you yeah. – I've seen it on Amazon. I think you can catch, get the DVD, but it's expensive. You know, It's not like yeah. a, a yeah. cheap 99 center, you know. Um, and I like Danny Aiello. I mean, I think he's a good actor. You know, he was, he was really good in Moonstruck and, you know, he, he's yeah. a really good actor. Um, yeah. And like JFK, that movie also includes David Ferry, which who's not in a lot of the JFK movies, but that one includes him as a character. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I would say definitely check that one out. And one that you didn't have on your list, Charles, but I'm going to mention here because it came out in 1993. It was I called which one you're going. Fatal Deception, Mrs. Lee Harvey Oswald. Yes, that's one I've never actually seen. Me either. Uh, but I need—I feel like I need to mention it because it—it apparently it got a you know some pretty good reviews. Um, and you know it was more the dynamic that that her and and Lee Oswald had privately. You know what I mean? And and of course, you know it, that's left up to uh, you know interpretation. I'm I'm, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, she was played. Marina was played by Helena Bonham Carter, yep. who is married to Tim Burton and has been in a whole lot of movies of, of Tim Burton. Um, you know she played, she played the uh, the Red Queen in uh, Alice in Wonderland. You know off with her head, and. Uh, so I mean, everybody should know who Helena Bonham Carter is. Yep. Um, let's see. And an interesting little uh, tidbit about that one: the guy who plays Oswald in that movie is a guy by the name of Frank Whaley or Wally. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Whaley or Wally. Yeah. And the kind of funny part about that is he was also in JFK playing an Oswald imposter. Really. One of the Oswald imposters. Nice. Yep. That's a good little nugget. Yeah. And I, I found that this Quantum Leap uh, episode we're talking about was uh, in 1992, actually, not the 80s. Oh, really? I thought it was the 80s as well. Yeah. No, it's 1992. TV, uh, they had a part one and a part two. So two hours of that. And, uh, of course, we can't find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um. 
so yeah, that's uh that's another good one. You know, Fatal Deception, definitely I would say check it out. You know, this was a made for TV movie, it wasn't a theatrical release. Um, but you know, I like Helena Bonham Carter as an actress. So uh yeah. you know, this is some of her early work, so definitely give it a shot, check it out. Um now there's a there's a lot of uh I'm not I'm not really too sure about the late nineties. You know, it was kind of a dead period for yep. uh, you know, Hollywood and the assassination. Although I'll just bring up one other one that I actually was not on my list, but I thought about it this morning. Yeah. Uh it's not completely it has connection to the assassination, but it's not about the assassination. It was uh nineteen ninety three in the line of fire with Clint Eastwood. Uh, so Clint Eastwood played a Secret Service agent who was apparently one of the Secret Service agents on Kennedy's detail on the day of the assassination. Right. And he comes out of retirement basically uh, to serve as an agent for a, another president who is getting repeated th- threats uh, by this uh, crazy guy played by John Malkovich. And actually um, Clint Eastwood's character in that was inspired by Clint Hill, who, of course, was one of Kennedy's um, Secret Service agents. So his character's kind of based on him. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. But it, I've seen that one. That's actually a very good movie. Yeah. So we'll move on up into the 2000s a little bit. And one of the first ones that I come across is a film called The Commission, which is about the Warren Commission, which mm-hmm. I've never seen, never really heard of until I started looking into, you know, films about the assassination. But apparently it came out in 2003 yep. and it was called The Commission. Yep. Have you seen and that or do you know anything I've about it? For, I've looked for it and can't find it anywhere. I've, I've, I've heard about it. I've wanted to see it and can't find it. Yeah. It's a really obscure one. Yeah, it says using. Tr- there's some very notable actors in it, but I can't find it anywhere. Yeah, I mean we got uh, Martin Landau, Sam Waterston from uh, Law and Order. Law and Order, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Yeah, it says using transcripts from the Warren Commission report. This film documents the workings of the Warren Commission, which investigated the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. So basically, we get a behind-the-scenes look, fictionally, at the. Uh, the inner workings of the commission, which I yeah. think would be a, a de- you know a decent story, and I agree. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I can't can't find it anywhere. But apparently, no one can because if you look down at the message board, there's all sorts of people <clears throat> asking, "When is this film available? Where can I find this film?" Yeah, I mean, the film was obviously made because it's got all the, the list of the cast and everything, but uh, you can't find it anywhere. I don't know where you find it. Yeah, I mean, Ed Asner's in it. Uh, he yeah. plays Captain Gordon Fritz. Person. Joe Don Baker, mm-hmm. um, you know, Stephen Collins, you know, Roger Craig's in the, you know, fictionally he's in the movie, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, sounds like a really, really good movie. Damn. Yeah, but uh, can't find it. No, nah. and uh, then there's a movie called The Assassin's Wife. Have you heard of that one? No. Yeah, this was released in 2008. Uh, it was a short movie. It says, a new, a new theory of what might have happened in the early hours on November 22nd could a foiled suicide attempt 
have possibly led to the assassination of JFK. So there is a some kind of a I mean, and this is a short. It's 15 minutes long. It's not a, it's not an actual, you know, full on movie. Um, and I'll just read the cast for you. Uh, of course, Marina Oswald, uh, FBI man one, June Oswald, FBI man two, Rachel Oswald, FBI agent, interrogation agent, and Lee Harvey Oswald all included in this. So I'm not sure what exactly they are trying to imply here with a foiled suicide attempt. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Yeah. Are uh, they trying to say that Oswald tried to kill himself and missed? Or I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. It's kind of a, an enigma. So if anybody knows anything about this movie, uh, get at us. Yeah. And and let us know where we can see it. Yeah. There's also another one that was that was done actually a little earlier than that that we kind of missed. It was called. Uh, it was actually back in 2002, and it was called Interview with the Assassin. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I watched it one not that long ago actually. Yeah, I, I brought it up on the uh, the thing because I knew I wanted to go back. I watched it. It's been a couple of years ago um, when it was on Netflix, um, but I couldn't remember the name of the damn movie. Yeah, there's like a there's a, there's another movie called Interview with the Hitman that I was I was getting confused with when I was look trying to look it up, and mm-hmm. there's a different movie Interview with the Assassin, which is of course James Files uh, thing, yeah. uh, his movie, and th- but this is the Interview with the Assassin. The Assassin. And it was 2002, uh, so Charles, step us through that one. Yeah, this is one I actually stumbled across one day years ago in a video store. Yeah, when they had video stores. Um, it started as uh, Dylan Haggerty, who basically, as it was described, I think it was described on the box as JFK meets the Blair Witch Project. And what they mean by that is that a lot of the movie is actually shot through like a camcorder, like a personal handheld camcorder. And what it is is this guy, he's a filmmaker, and he's got this mysterious neighbor who, you know, he doesn't know a lot about that uh, he sees around the neighborhood time for time, but the guy pretty much keeps to himself. So anyways, the guy stumbles across the fact that this guy's a filmmaker and says, you know, can you bring your camera over to my house? Uh, I've got something to... uh, I've got something I want to get off my chest. So he goes over with his camera and sets it up like an interview with him. And he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you about a crime I committed, but you, I don't want you releasing this until after I'm dead. So he goes through this whole tale about how he was um, uh, the second gunman on the grassy knoll, and he's right. the one that actually shot, fired the shot that killed Kennedy, the, the headshot. And then they go on this, you know, this basically cross-country uh, adventure thing where he's taking them to different places and taking them to meet different people to back up his claims and stuff like that. He goes and sees his old army buddies. Um, he takes them to a bank where he's got a safe deposit box where he says he's got uh, a shell from the gun he used. He actually takes them to a veteran's hospital where he says one of the guys that uh, – help mastermind the whole thing was it was one of his old commanders so they go on this this whole journey they go to dallas they go to dealey plaza so this filmmaker guy is trying to decide whether this guy just full of crap or whether this guy's story is actually true so it's actually i really like the way uh they do it and then eventually they start getting followed by people and 
they find out that there's people watching them. So yeah, it was actually quite well done. Again, it's a it's a small budget film. It's not a really well known film, but I thought it was actually quite good. I enjoyed it the way they did it. Yeah, I did too. You know, it was, like I said, they just kind of jumped right into it, and you know, handheld camera. This is you know, there's no background to it. I mean, this is it. It just jumps into it and goes. And I tell you what, the ending threw me for a loop. Yeah, the ending. I'm not going to give it away for anyone that no. wants to see it, but the ending's got uh, quite a quite a interesting twist at it. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, highly recommend it. You know, so it, if you want to check this movie out, you know, I I just ordered a copy from Amazon. I think it was ninety nine cents plus three ninety nine shipping DVD. You know, so like five bucks for the movie because it's not like you can find it at the video store anymore or at Walmart or anything like that. And look, I've tried online to find this movie to to download it <laughs> and I can't find it there either in a format that's you know conducive to what we do here in the United States. So that was my only option because I wanted to have it for my collection because um, – now I'm going to talk about a couple of movies here, Charles, mm-hmm. that uh, that I recently obtained from Amazon and watched. That I ran across one day, you know, looking at stuff about the assassination. I, I'd never heard of these two movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is called Frame of Mind, mm-hmm. and it stars some no-name guy um, and a lot of bit players from actually the, the, the television show The Sopranos. Um, and Chris Noth, who was, of course, Mr. Big from Sex and the City. People would know that. Um, and he, Chris Noth kind of plays this, uh, uh, for lack of a better comparison, John McAdams type professor at a college, you know, and he's written books on the assassination from the lone nut perspective. Um, and there's a cop that that runs across some information, um, and it's actually a, a picture of a uh, a person on the grassy knoll concealing a rifle under their coat. And you know, as the movie progresses, you know, um, of course, people start chasing them. Uh, the mafia is, you know, people start dying. You know, you got the mafia involved from Chicago uh, trying to trying to trying to shit chase him down and shut shut this thing down. And while it might sound like a good movie, uh, it was horrible. I mean, it was so low budget. The acting was horrible. I mean, horrible. I've never ever seen Chris Noth mail it in. I mean, he he looks so disinterested to be there, <laughs> you know, even on set. You know, there's this one scene where they're he's sitting in his office and uh, he's just he looks shit faced, um, and I'm sure he is in real life. And he's got his his glass of whiskey and he just downs it, and then he just kind of turns it upside down and lets the the rest of the whiskey trickle onto his pants as as the main character is talking to him. He's just kind of looking at this glass, like not even really listening. And it's just the weirdest thing ever. Um, so I, I would recommend people stay away from this, this one. It is, you know, it might sound good, but trust me, it, it's not, not at all. 
Um, and the next one is called the bystander theory, which is, I will put it above frame of mind. Um, it was, it's a, it's a low budget movie, but the story is much better. The acting is much better. Um, and this movie centers around the supposition of a woman inheriting uh, some of her, well, her grandfather dies. And he lived in a small town in Texas. And going through his possessions after he's dead, she, she comes across a box of movies, home movies. And one of the home movies that she finds is of the assassination. And from figuring out the perspective of things and it turns out that that they're looking at the Babushka ladies film which is an interesting you know idea for a movie um you know to 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 go at it from there because in the movie her grandmother went missing uh shortly after the assassination and her grandfather like i said lived you know another 40 years and died um but her grandmother was just basically disappeared and it, grandfather always said, well, she ran off with some other guy. Um, but it turns out that the grandfather accidentally shot her, uh, you know, all these years ago because they, they, they were having this big argument. And um, I like the ending. Like I said, the ending for Frame of Mind, the movie I was just talking about before, it was horrible. It just kind of just ended. You're like, what the hell? Um, but this one actually has a decent ending. And better written, better acted, and that's called the bystander theory. So if you'd like a, a decent movie about the assassination, I'd recommend uh, getting that and checking it out. Now, Charles, we get to 2013, which was a big time for assassination movies because, of course, this is the 50th anniversary. 50th anniversary. And we have, of course, Killing Kennedy, which was a, a Bill O'Reilly adaptation miniseries on TV, which was a gigantic piece of shit. Don't waste your time. It's crap. It gets basic facts wrong. Yeah. It's just a terrible movie. Yeah. And I, Rob Lowe as JFK? I mean, really? Yeah. Made-for-TV movies, a lot of times, they're not great movies. And this puts me to TV movies to shame. This is awful. Yep, awful. So stay far, far away from killing Kennedy. Now, we also have another TV movie called Lee Harvey Oswald, 48 Hours to Live. Mm -hmm. Did you get a chance to see that one? I have seen that one. What would you think about that? I guess if you believe in the lone gunman theory, I guess that kind of makes sense and so on. Uh, there's, I had some problems with it because uh, yeah. I think it, uh, there's some facts in there they're not getting quite right. Yeah, I and mean, this is a no-name cast. I mean, we're talking I'm, – I'm looking through the cast right now. I don't see one name I've ever seen before. Um, you know, and this is basically a – basically just reenacting the last 48 hours that Oswald was alive. Um, it's basically what they're doing. You know, it's nothing groundbreaking, you know, 
but it has an 8.0 on IMDb. So some people must have liked it. I don't know. I don't know where these people come from. Um, you know, but James Hostey is very prominent in the movie. Um, there is a host, a narrator. Uh, there's, you know, they have people like Johnny Brewer, Helen Markham, uh, you know, Will Fritz, the Western Union clerk, Earlene Roberts, Ruth Payne, uh, some guy named Trent Tidmore plays Jack Ruby. Some guy named Jason Lee Boyson plays Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, I've never heard of anyone in this movie. No, no. So, I mean, I don't know. I've never seen it. So, I, I'm guessing it's basically just a reenactment of the last two days of his life, basically. Yep. From arrest to death. Um, which, you know, if if you like to watch that kind of thing, go right ahead. Mm-hmm. Now, 2013 spurned us another... Another winner, Charles, and that would be Parkland. Parkland. Now, let's spend a little time on Parkland because I know a lot of people have seen it. It was a gigantic theatrical major studio release. And it was a bust. Yes, it was a bust. But, you know, when you got a big name like Tom Hanks behind it and, uh, you know, big big time actors in it. Mm-hmm. You know, like Paul Giamatti. You Paul know, Giamatti, Marsha Gay Harden, Billy Bob Thornton. Bob Thornton. Yeah, you know, you got big big names in this movie. Um, as a movie, you know, it was. I, I look. I'll say this. You know, it, it follows the very much the Warren Commission version of events. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as an entertaining type movie, you know, it was okay. It was watchable. I wouldn't say it was the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, you know, they credit Vincent Bugliosi as a writer on this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I believe this is what spurned, uh, Jim DiGenio to write Reclaiming Parkland. Yep. Where he righted all the historical wrongs that the movie, you know, uh, got wrong, but once again, this is a, a work of fiction, you know, and it's taking into consideration, you know, the official version of events. Um, but you know, when you're dealing with a lot of the medical stuff and the doctors at Parkland, it's it's really not accurate whatsoever, is it? No. You know, it's interesting to see, you know, Abraham's Paul Giamatti to bring Abraham's Zapruder to life on 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 in a movie, and you know, Billy Bob Thornton to bring uh, Four Sorrels to life. Um, you know, and I enjoyed their their performances in the movie, but you know, like I said, when you when you if you're looking at it for historical accuracy, this is not the movie <laughs> that you want to watch. And this was, I guess supposed to be a mini series uh to begin with mm-hmm. another one uh but it was crammed into a uh two hour movie which i think you can tell you can tell it's very rushed it's very fast paced it's very disjointed at times you know it just cuts from one scene to the next and i mean at yeah. breakneck speed um and when I heard about this coming out, I thought there was going to be a lot more about Oswald and a lot more about Marguerite Oswald, because it seemed to indicate that, at least I thought, in the trailers. 
I think Oswald has one scene of dialogue in the entire movie when he's there talking to his brother, uh, Robert, after he's been arrested. I don't think he has any other lines in the movie. You see him a few times, but uh, to me, there was one scene in this which I, one scene in this movie which I really liked, and that was the scene right at the end when they actually declared JFK dead, and I thought they really did that scene quite well. Yeah. And I got to admit, the rest of the movie I was completely bored by. I I didn't think it was very well done. I, I, I It bored me to tears, to be honest. Yeah, no doubt. You know, and uh, like I said, a lot of people hate the movie. Um, of course, because it, it does look at things from a uh, low nut perspective. And I think Eugenio really trashed the movie before it even came out. And I think that contributed a lot to its non-success. And there was really no buzz for the movie when it came out. Um, and, and like I said, it didn't stay long in the theaters. It was out on DVD relatively quickly and in the $5 bin even quicker. So that's where I got my copy. And it was in the $5 bin, I think a couple months after it actually came out in the theater. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um, which, you know, of course brings us to, let's see, where are we, Charles? Well, we're at 2013. Uh, there's actually, there's a couple other, there's one other one I want to bring up, because uh, I'm sure not a lot of people have seen it. Um, it was actually another miniseries that was done. Uh, I'm just trying to think of what year it was done. It was done, let me see, I can look it up here quickly. Done back in 2007. Okay. And I think I put it on the list I sent you. It was called Across the River to Motor City. Yeah, I have no clue what that is. Okay, so not a lot of people do um, because it was a miniseries. I believe it was made in Canada, but it was a miniseries. It was six parts, and basically it was lower budget. There's not a lot of big-name actors in it, although you probably would recognize some of the actors in it because a lot of them are character actors. And basically it centers around a guy named Ben Ford who was like a, a P.I., and the movie starts on November 22, 1963, and it's a P.I., and his girlfriend, he's about to um, propose to his girlfriend, who is a flight attendant. And basically, he gets a call from his girlfriend, because uh, she was working a flight attendant on November 22nd, uh, on a flight from Dallas to Detroit. And she starts telling him about how they were in the air, and then they landed, but they were delayed because they were supposed to take off around 1230 but they were delayed because they were waiting for uh, one guy who was like a a Cuban Latin man who was in first class, and he was the only passenger in first class, and they had to wait over half an hour just for this guy to get on board. Well, anyway, the plane lands, she calls in, and then everybody that worked on this plane, all the flight attendants, the stewardesses, or I guess they are the stewardesses, the pilots and everything, all of them either died or disappeared. And he was about to propose to his girlfriend that night. And then basically to go through from that day right until the uh, early 2000s. And the guy has becomes convinced that the disappearance of his fiance and his uh, on all the people on that plane are somehow tied in to the assassination of uh, Kennedy and tied into this uh, 
Latin guy that was sitting in first class. And uh, it was actually a really well-done series. It was the six-part series done back in. And I remember because it premiered in November on November 22nd, 2007. And I remember watching it, and I watched the entire series, and I've never found it ever again. But it was actually quite well done. So I would like to see it go through and watch it again, but I can't find it anywhere. I can find a trailer on YouTube, and that's it. Hmm. Good. It was a good show, though. I really liked it. Yeah, that's wild. Mm-hmm. And I guess we uh, we missed one, too. Um, I think you had on your list Love Field. I'm not sure when when yeah, that was that made. Was, that was an early 90s movie, and that's uh, – the assassination kind of a background there, but it um, stars Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, also Dennis Haysbert. And if you've ever seen uh, the first season of 24, he's the guy that plays the president. And um, anyway, she's a, a Dallas housewife who um, basically uh, she lived in Dallas the day of the assassination, and she's a huge fan of Jackie Kennedy. So, anyways, um, the Kennedys assassinated, and she wants to travel across country to go to JFK's funeral in Washington. And her her husband's a jerk, and uh, you know he roughs her up and stuff like that. So. She decides to set out on her own, and then she meets up with Dennis Haysbert and her daughter, and they're traveling towards Washington, D.C. So it's kind of a civil rights thing because um, she's white, uh, he's African-American, so they're traveling across country to try and get to the uh, the Kennedy funeral and stuff like that, and they run into different uh, you know obstacles along the way, and um, then her husband tracks her down as she's trying to get to Washington. It was a well done movie. I mean, it's a it's a drama, um, a, maybe a bit of a, a chick flick, if you will. But I thought it was a pretty good movie. I watched it a few times. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, like I said, which kind of brings us up to the present uh, present day, um, where we're enjoying, you know, eleven twenty two sixty three. I, 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 you know, I can't really remember. Uh, too many things. I mean, there's been some stuff on TV, like I think an episode of Brad Meltzer's Lost History, where they're talking about Lee Harvey Oswald's ring. Yeah. Uh, there was something, you know, a lot of these little documentary movies, but we mainly wanted to stick with the uh, Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, you know, movies. You know, so we are, you know, generally aware of most of them. And if we've missed any, uh, for people out there listening. Please, you know, feel free to comment on this post over on TLGpodcast.com and let us know if we missed any uh, good or bad movies related to the assassination. Because, I mean, we can't watch them all or know about them all. But hopefully, you know, Charles has seen a few stinkers. I've seen a few stinkers um, that neither one of us knew knew about um, before. So, you know, I'm sure there's some more gems hidden out there somewhere, Charles. Yeah, so, and uh, we know that there's one coming, too. Yes. Let's talk yeah. about that for a second. All right. So uh, coming out, I believe it's slated to be released uh, next year, in 2017, um, Legacy of Secrecy, which was a book uh, done by Lamar Waldron, Lamar Waldron and Tom Hartman, 
which was a book that kind of connects the JFK, RFK, and Martin Luther King assassinations and tries to connect them together. It's uh, been um, planned as a movie now, and I, they might be shooting it already. I'm not sure. It's going to star Leonardo DiCaprio, who, of course, just won the Best, Asker, best Actor at the Oscars uh, last month. And he's going to play an FBI agent, uh, named, I believe, um, Jack Van Lingham, who I believe was a real-life guy uh, who's going to be kind of a confidant informant uh, to Carlos Marcello, who's going to be played by Robert De Niro. Um, So, and it's based around the information, if you've read the book, uh, Legacy of Secrecy, um, I've had the book, it's an interesting book, um, so, um, yeah, it's going to look, um, basically, uh, it has the theory that Mafia godfather Carlos Mar- Marcello told FBI informant Jack Van Langingham that he was behind the assassination. So it's basically a mob did it um, uh, movie. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's going to be kind of the working, um, and that kind of is what the book does, because I've read the book before. It hypothesizes that the mob was the driving force behind it, but also used uh, rogue agents of the CIA uh, as part of the planning. Now, I have some problems. I have read, like I'll see the movie when it comes out, uh, obviously. I've read the book Legacy of Secrecy. Um, There's some stuff in it. The main premise is that JFK was planning an invasion of Cuba and the invasion of Cuba was uh, planned uh, to commence on December 1st, 1963, so about 10 days after he's assassinated or so. Uh, I have some problems with that theory. That's something that Tom Hartman's actually, or, and Lamar Waldron have actually written a couple of books about, one Legacy of Secrecy, the other one they did was called Ultimate Sacrifice. I have some issues with that theory. I don't see the evidence that there was a, an invasion planned at all. But anyways, uh, that's kind of what the uh, the working theory of that movie is about. Um, you know, take it for what it's worth. But I'm certainly interested to see uh, the movie and how they uh, handled it with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it just to see. Because I, mean, I, like, I like Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor. And, of course, De Niro when he's I actually – being De Niro and he's not some grandpa or some intern at a fashion, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I like, I like the heat version of Robert De Niro, the Godfather yeah. version of Robert De Niro. Yeah. You know, um, so hopefully, you know, he's not, a, he's not too old to, to get back into character, you know, Cape fear De Niro, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, I think, I think Leo has a little bit of an interest in the assassination because yeah, one movie we didn't talk about, but it it does touch on some elements, uh, is Hoffa, yes. and which came out I think in 2011. And oh, I think it was farther back than that. Was it? Uh, it could be. I I don't know. Um, yeah, Hoffa but, was 1992 actually. No, I'm talking about the uh, the DiCaprio version. Are you talking about Hoffa or are you talking about J. Edgar? The one about Hoover. J. Edgar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but there was Hoffa, which was done in 1992 with Jack Nicholson, but uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio did J. Edgar. Yes, J. Edgar. Edgar. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I got my Hoffa Hoovers mixed up there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I believe Hoffa yeah. is a character in that movie, so. Yeah, but Leonardo DiCaprio played, J, of course, J. Edgar Hoover in the movie. Yeah. And there is interactions, you know, with with the Kennedys in the movie. Um, some very yeah. important scenes, especially Robert Kennedy. And, uh, you know, that's kind of tied in a little bit because they didn't really like each other too much. And uh, nope. so that's another decent movie to check out. Uh, I think there was, uh, of course, Oliver Stone's movie Nixon. Nixon, you know, which, of course has a scene in it about the so-called assassination party, which you and I have discussed before. Yes. Uh, it's included actually in Nixon, with Nixon being there, and uh, the guy playing uh, Clint Murchison was played by Larry Hagman, who, of course, played J.R. Ewing in Dallas. So <laughs> yeah. that is uh, part of Nixon. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you can you can find little elements of the assassination in, in a lot of different Hollywood movies. And... You know, it just depends on, I guess, you know, who who, who writes it, who directs it, and, uh, you know, what, what kind of a movie you're going to get, what kind of a budget these people are going to get. Because most of the movies that have to do with the conspiracy angles of the assassination don't really get big budgets unless no, you got big, big names attached to the project. Yeah, they, a lot of uh, studios don't want anything to do with them. No. They don't and, want to rock the boat. Exactly. You know, it's and, you know, they don't want to go against convention either, conventional thinking, mm-hmm. you know, because they don't think that there's a big market for it out here. Um, but I think the movie JFK just shred their little theory all to hell because mm-hmm. that one movie that Oliver Stone did back then probably is gross more than any other lone nut based movie before or since combined. Oh, I would think so. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm, you know, the the public, the people out here are hungry for the truth. The majority of them think that there was a conspiracy, and we'd like to see that impression reflected on screen for a change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and we're getting it right now. You know, with eleven twenty two sixty three. Yep. And it's good that the DiCaprio one and uh, De Niro one, uh, Legacy of Secrecy, it's good that it's going to be a conspiracy movie. Yeah, do I completely agree with the whole premise of the plot? No. Right, no. But, it, you know, at least it looks like it's going to be a big-budget movie that's going to at least uh, address uh, the possibility of conspiracy because any other big-budget one is always, with the affection, of course, of JFK, uh, have always been more to the uh, Warren Commission um, angle. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, it's going to generate interest in the assassination once again because these, look, these Leonardo DiCaprio is the hottest thing in Hollywood right now. Like you said, yeah. he just won the act, uh, Oscar. You know, people love De Niro. Um, it's going to generate a lot of buzz concerning the assassination next year when it comes out. And well, of course it is, yeah. Yeah, and 2017 is, of course, where we're getting the rest of the supposed documents released from the CIA. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing I'm guessing they're going to kind of time this to coincide with that somehow, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just to generate some interest that way as well. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's... It, if it does nothing else except open some more eyes and, and get pe- more people interested in the assassination, then, you know, good on them. You know, I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
and get rid of some of these low-budget nonsense movies like Running Against Time and Time Quest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Frame of Mind. Um, I honestly no. think those two movies were trying to capitalize off of Back to the Future and the whole time travel thing. Because that was around the time that Back to the Future was really big. So, hey, let's bring out a time travel movie with uh, involving the JFK assassination. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, you know, because back then they, they were ramping up to the uh, the 30th anniversary of the assassination. Yep. Plus, you know, JFK, the movie came out in 91, you know, and people knew it was getting made. It was going to be some big, huge budget thing for a couple of years. Because Oliver Stone was at the height of his career back then, you know, coming off the heels of, of you know, Platoon and uh, some other great movies, you know, that he Born did. Fourth of July. Yep. Yeah. You know, he he was, he was a big thing. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So basically, that's it. You know, that brings us up to the present. And, and, you know, if we missed anything, please be sure to let us know over in the comments section on the website. And uh, I think... I think we got it to everything, Charles. It, yeah, I think so. Yeah, we may have missed a few, but like you said, we can't see them all. So no, no. And I will, I will try to put up as much of this stuff as I can over at the website tlgpodcast.com. So make yeah. sure you head over there and check it out. Yeah, I've sent you some links for some of the ones you didn't know about. I found some and just kind of sent them off to you. So yep, I appreciate that. I'll get yep. those embedded in the web page, and I'll see what I can dig up. On my end, and uh, look, in the meantime, people, find a way to watch 112263. Yeah. Trust me, you'll enjoy it. It's worth the watch by far. It is worth a watch. It is very entertaining at the least. Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to, of course, me and Charles because we're interested in the assassination, but it is entertaining as well. Yeah. And Even if you're not a fan of the assassination, I think you would find this series entertaining. Oh, most definitely. You know, I I uh I sent over some of the episodes to my seventy year old mother to watch. And uh you know, she's no assassination buff, but I told her I said, Look, you you you're gonna dig it because, you know, this t- takes you back to the to the early sixties, of course, when she was in high school and she was alive when, when Kennedy was shot. Um and you know, remembers that and, and she actually really in, is enjoying the, the the series. So, you know, young or old, yeah. male, female, there's lots of stuff to enjoy about this. I mean, it's got a love story, which <laughs> our friend, our, our friend Kasia doesn't like. Um, but, you know, it's got to be incorporated in, in, into the story. Yeah. Um, there has to be some, you know, different elements of things, you know, to, to move, to move forward the, the plot um, but all in all, I, I think it's great. And yeah. uh, Charles, I really I, like the, the the way they've uh, created the feel of the 1962. I think they've done a really good job of that. Yeah, I mean they they With really all spared the fashion and the cars yeah. and everything. Yeah, I mean they spared no expense. Um, with with the set, the dressing, and and the cars, and the clothes, and the music, and. You know, they really take you back. I mean, it, it all, you know, from the from from the hats to the shoes to the, you know, the equipment. Uh, you know, it's 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 really done well. You know, I'm really enjoying it. They're they're finally up to, uh, well, in episode four, they finally made it to Neely Street, uh, in February 1963, and uh, that's where they're at right now. We got four more episodes to go. 
And how about this, Charles? When it's all over with, how about you come back on and we'll talk about the whole thing? Sounds like a plan to me. We'll really get into it and we'll really break it down uh, for people and, and compare it against what we know, historically accurate and, and you know, from, from fiction-wise, and we'll really get into it. And I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, Charles, I think this was a great idea. Thank you for bringing it to me, and yep. thank you for joining me on the show today. Happy to do it, Rob, anytime, and look forward to the next time we can do it again. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. So, like I said, everybody, head over to TLGpodcast.com, and I will get as much of this stuff up uh, link-wise to YouTube right there so you don't have to go searching. It'll be right there for you to check out. Also, if you're over on the website and you feel like kicking a couple bucks my way, hit the donate button, or you can buy a watch from modifywatches.com backslash the Lone Gunman podcast. You can also be a patron of the show. If you go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash the Lone Gunman podcast. That's where you can pledge, you know, a dollar a month. If you want to kick me a dollar a month, it automatically snatches it out of your wallet and you don't even have to think about it. So check that out. Um, and uh, I guess that's it, Charles. All righty. I appreciate it. And people. Thanks for having me on again. Hey, no problem. My pleasure. You hang on the line for me. People, this some bitch is in the can, beamed up the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace. right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. 
You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt Bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.